Hello, this is Alex with a quick little heads up. The original planned podcast audio ran into a few issues um, that made it not entirely workable, so we are falling back on our backup audio that we recorded. This is why redundancies are good, my friends. Hello, and welcome to the Anime Explorations podcast. My name is Alex. And I'm Tora. I'm David. And because it's February, I decided to do another theme month going forward and have February be February, where we will be covering for until we run out of stuff, more or less, um, various installments of the Fate franchise, with a few exceptions. Um, there, there are so many. that That'll <laughs> take so many years to keep making them. Yep. Like, the exceptions, like, I'm not gonna, like, I am ruling out the Prisma Ilia franchise. Because um, that's a little... No, just... That's... It's a little... Yeah. Um... Like, there are some comedic bits from that franchise that I do appreciate. Basically, anything involving um, Rin and, like, like the Rin, Shiro, and, oh, crap, I forgot the name of the third character. Uh, the one with the drill curls. Oh. Oh, this is, I feel so bad. <laughs> uh, it's back in your brain somewhere. It, it's definitely in there. Luvia! Luvia. Luvia. Like, everything with Rin and Luvia is absolute comedy gold. Um, and it is surrounded by so much stuff that is not good um, and deeply problematic that it doesn't make it worth sticking out through the rest of it. Yeah, if you really want to see Prisma Ilya done really well, just just go watch Card Captor Sakura. <laughs> yep. Like Prisma Ilya is like a skeevy parody of Card Captor Sakura. Things I did traffic. not know before going into them. Like, you know, I you know, Luke likes Card Captor Sakura. Maybe it's okay for our seven-year-old. And then I'm like, you know what? I'd like we're gonna watch this first. Make sure, you know, monitor. Yep. And then, you know, I was like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have thoughts on this relating to the anime we actually watched, so we'll get there. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, perhaps the, the show darkest proper... entry into the, into the franchise. So, before we get to the show proper, um, what is your um, previous experiences with the Fate uh, franchise? I would say that we've seen most of them. We, we we absolutely have not. No? No. no. Okay, well, I'll, I feel like I've seen the main ones. You, yes. You, <laughs> you saw the original 2006 Fate Stay Night. Uh, you, and Unlimited Blade Works. And you saw, like, the... And Fate Zero. And Zero. Uh, you, I don't think you saw the Unlimited Blade Works movie with me, which came before the show, which was... Not good? Like... They tried, but that's trying to fit, you know, what it took them 25 episodes to adapt into two hours. So I have not played any of the visual novels, but David has. Yes, I have. Um, saw, uh, played that. Uh, I play Grand Order. I've watched 
the Grand Order adaptations. Uh, First Order, Absolute Demonic Front Babylonia, which is just a fun name. Uh, Camelot. So he's more of a deep fan and I'm more of a casual fan. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay, so that's that's a good balance going into this. Um, <laughs> and we definitely have a bit more of the uh, knowledge of some of the more not to say ins and outs, but the, 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 of the characters that are involved with this particular series. Yeah. Yeah, if, yeah, for knowledge of the characters, basically you just need to go with uh, the original Fate Stay Night. Yeah. Um, so, I came into this with, uh, with this is a rewatch for me, should mention, um, having seen about a similar amount of stuff as, as what you have seen. Um, I actually, as part of my getting my parents into anime, uh, got uh-huh. in um, this was their first exposure to fate in general. Uh, I did give them some information about character relationships and that sort of thing going in. Um, but this was their introduction to fate entirely. So I also, so with the context of the additional information that I gave them, they were generally able to kind of pick up some of the um, in jokey bits. And boy, are there a lot of them. Yep. Now, this show in particular is really interesting because um, you could watch it as someone who has no lo- no knowledge of the Fate franchise and just be like, okay, this is a sweet little sweet little slice of life cooking show, you know? We should actually um, probably... Min- pa- pa- time a second. We, we haven't actually mentioned what show we're talking about. <laughs> we should probably do that. <laughs> yes, we should. We were just kind of leave our lead in. Uh, but we're getting together the show proper. We are talking about today's menu for the MEF family, uh, currently available for streaming on Crunchyroll. Quick background on how this aired. This was not a seasonal anime series as they would normally be done. Um, This aired monthly, uh, starting in January um, through 2018, with two episodes airing in um, December. One at the start of the month, one at the end. And so that kind of represent fits in with the structure of the app of the series, with the dishes being relevant for various portions of the year, traditional Japanese holidays, traditional dishes that will be eaten at particular times of the year, and also seasonal ingredients. Mm-hmm. And as the title suggests, this is a cooking anime, like with a very heavy of an emphasis on the cooking process. Yeah, and unlike some cooking animes that we can name, they didn't sexualize any of the female characters, and it was wonderful. Right, so that's what I wanted to mention. If you are familiar with other entries in the Fate franchise, it has kind of a swinging pendulum of problematically sexualizing underage characters. Um, Some shows a lot. Some shows not so much. This is completely on the non-sexualization side, which I very much appreciated. I think, the- and I think that's because the intended audience was a little different. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, I think the closest they came was during the uh, beach or the uh, swim park the episode. Park. Yeah, the water park episode uh, with a rider in a swimsuit, and the joke is just the fact that she's really, really tall. If anything, there was more sexualization of the male characters in a female gaze sort of way, which I also appreciated. I will look at Lancer in an apron all day. Um, But 
again, I think that it, it was just kind of a big tonal shift from other Fate shows, and I think it's because the intended audience was very different. <laughs> Minor question, just to, for clarification purposes. Um, the vibe I got when I watched original Fate Stay Night and a few of the other related works is I only got the impression that like our main like three characters, um, Shiro, uh, Rin, and Sakura, were more towards the 18 side of things because like the a big chart of the, the first episode of Fate Stay Night is hey you need to get your future plan stuff together your college tests and all this other sort of stuff which is why um like Taiga's dinging him about hey you're talking about you're still talking about being a hero of justice why don't you join the JSDF and that sort of thing no not not so much i want to say canonically shiro and uh shiro and reen are both i want to say it's 15 or 16 and sakura is a year younger than them um but that that's like um so we quick talking because it doesn't come up that much yet about how japanese high school works um for those who aren't familiar or listeners who aren't familiar uh japanese high school instead of in the u.s where it's four years it is three years that that first year what would be our freshman year which would normally be i want to say 14 15 in that range gets cut off and is instead in middle school yeah and so okay should... that's right but sakura is sakura is a first year there so she's got to be 16 so that means rin and shiro have got to be 17 then okay yeah because along like... with shinji and yeah because like i'm thinking about like okay with where characters are and with what tentative knowledge I have about how Japanese high school is, is like usually in like the senior year, there's that's when you get the heavy push of what college do you want to go to? What future career path do you want to go to? Um, that sort of thing. And I remember that being a big thing coming up in Fate, in the first adaptation of Fate Stay Night. Yeah. So that could have been the change for that version, but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um. Yeah, I don't know that the original was super problematic or super sexualized in that way, but later shows certainly have yep. been, um, which makes me a little bit leery of the franchise as a whole. Like, what was that one you started me watching that was like literally just fan service? Oh like, my God, yeah. Um, and I was like, nope. Yeah, that was, I, I think it's Grand Phantasm, which is the Fate Grand Order sequel to Carnival Phantasm. Which luckily was only four episodes and yeesh. Like Carnival Phantasm had some fan service, but it was mainly just all in jokes. And Grand Phantasm or Grand Carnival. Yeah, Grand Carnival. Just fan service and not like haha funny fan service. It's. So the reason I think it's important to to mention this kind of of thinking that I'm going through in my head with the the pendulum of sexualization is everything is gathered under the same brand umbrella. So if someone who has just watched the original Fate Stay Night and thinks, "Ooh, that's great. I want to watch one of the other shows," like just picks up Prisma Ilya and starts watching it, they're going to be like, "Wait. <laughs> yeah. What's what's with that? Like the the, the the tonal whiplash on some of this can be pretty severe. I, re I remember going back to Prismalia to see, oh, right, maybe maybe this is for Luke and remembering exactly why I didn't finish it the first time. But 
this sweet little cooking show is just that. So this yep. one is safe. If you're a woman like me who has been burned out over the years on the sexualization of anime characters, this one is safe, guys. <laughs> just so you know. So, um, well, yeah, th- I remember when I, when I first watched this show, one of the things that impressed me as well, not just in terms of the, the lack of sexualization of female characters and stuff for cooking compared to something like, let's just say the name right, right here, Food Wars. Food Wars, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> like, we're not an anime. We can say name brands. <laughs> um, is that not only does food, like not only does it not sexualize female characters or any other characters necessarily as much as like Food Wars does, I feel like it shows the work better than food wars does um like food wars they pr- they produce these elaborate dishes both shown in the mong in the manga and the anime but you don't necessarily get a chance a sense of how you would do it yourself you see characters mm-hmm. doing chopping cooking doing particular cooking steps and that sort of thing but you don't necessarily get the sense of listen what the ingredients are why they're doing it for how long they're doing it and if you've done any cooking in real life, that's a situation where it's used. That's necessary information. You mm-hmm. might be able to do a rough approximation based on how they depict things, but as plenty of YouTube channels that do, um, I want to try to replicate this cooking anime, this recipe from this um, anime in real life, done by professional chefs. That's still pretty hard, and they still screw it up sometimes. Um, by contrast, just in the anime alone, you have a really decent idea of what ingredient, it's clear what ingredients you're using, what steps are being done to make the dish, um, and even a sense of time, um, that's missing some fine detail stuff in terms of like amount of like, uh, particular spices and that sort of thing. But it does bear mentioning that there is a, that this is based on a manga. And the manga has full recipes for everything. Which is great. Um, Yep. I I have a lot to say about this. It's going to sound like I'm going off on a tangent for just a few seconds, but bear with me. So there's a a lot of conversation going on right now that has been kind of societally unacceptable to talk about before, which is the concept of domestic labor and its value. One of the things that I really appreciate the show is that it shows Shiro going through all the steps of the domestic labor that is involved in cooking. That involves thinking about what you want to make, making a decision, making a shopping list, going shopping, getting the ingredients, figuring out how you're going to time it. If there are make ahead elements, making them ahead of time, you know? Um, And then like the final step is just putting it all together. So for years, this amount of work in our patriarchal society has been devalued or hand-waved away. Um, And traditionally, the brunt of this kind of domestic labor has been borne by women. So it is really refreshing to see a male character um, who is handling all this and the genuine appreciation of the people around him in response to it. But then as a woman, I also want to see you know, the female characters going through that work and getting the same level of appreciation, um, which happens a little bit when Caster cooks. Um, So I I really appreciated that. 
And I think, like you said, it's important to show all the steps in the cooking process so that you can replicate that at home. Otherwise, it just kind of becomes another Pinterest inspirational mood board that you're like, oh, I wish my life were like that. But realistically, it isn't, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, for both um, Castor, uh, Sakura, and Rin. Because uh, we, because each, yes. uh, um, like, like basically all of our th- like main three female characters, except for Saber, whose um, main culinary trait is, yes, more food, please. But yes. <laughs> Yes. And that's fine. Yeah, that's, it's that refreshing fine. Uh, to see that. <laughs> like with, 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 a, with a side bit of the running joke of British cooking sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's also fine. <laughs> um, but um, actually, the, the mentioning Castor, it's also bears mentioning is um, when Castor tries to make the same dish that Shiro uh, is teaching her to, how to make, it doesn't look as photogenic in the same way. But it is important to mention that, that they when they depict it, it also... They also make clear it still tastes good. It still mm-hmm. tastes fine. It's the sense of your food may like while Shiro may have hit the secret human mundane noble phantasm of unlimited food porn. Um <laughs> that um if you're not able to make something that looks like it turned out on like the, what you see in the recipe cookbook, um in, in the cookbook with the professional photography and that sort of thing. It'll still look good. It'll still taste good, and it's fine if it does. If the presentation isn't as photogenic as you like, as you like It'll it to be, still make people happy. Yeah, and like as <laughs> even Suichiro says, if you're not satisfied with this, you can always make it again. <laughs> the show did go to length. They showed Shiro learning how to cook and grappling with that process when he was younger, and the implication is that he's been working on it and practicing for years. So the show is not out to make you feel bad if your food doesn't look like his, which I which I appreciate, because like I said, otherwise it just becomes another mood board for you to aspire to that you know you'll never quite make it, because <laughs> you don't have the time to put in all these hours. Like, <laughs> And I think that's... um. I watch a lot of cooking shows, okay? Let me just put that out there. I've watched cooking shows my entire life. I watched cooking shows for fun um, <laughs> for my entire life. And our son does, too. And <laughs> uh, there is... I know that there is never going to be a point where I'm going to equal a professional chef because they have spent years and hours and hours and hours practicing these things. But that's okay. You know, if it takes me three minutes as opposed to 30 seconds to dice an onion. I'm okay with that. Um, Because the great thing about food is that it's a universal human experience and it makes people happy. You know, and that is just so palpable in this show, the shoujo sparkle that everyone gets when they eat something delicious. It's like you instantly relate to that because everyone has had that experience of putting something in your mouth and thinking like, oh, yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> and it's it's a comforting feeling. And I think that's one of the things the show does really well is bring you into the joy of sharing and eating food. Which is what all the best cooking shows do, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about any particular recipes? Um I do have one that I'll figure start off with. Um, with uh, Rin's fried rice mm-hmm. uh, from episode eight. So completely unintentionally that evening, uh, we had some leftover stir fry from before. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do fried rice for dinner. And I watched the episode. 
Um, and we also have Kenji, J. Kenji Lopez Alt's The Walk, which is an excellent cookbook. I strongly recommend people pick it up. Um, and so for the fried rice, I was interested. Um, I saw how Rin adds, uh, handles adding egg to the fried rice in the recipe, which is um, she cooks, is she browns the rice, removes the rice from the wok, then starts the egg, and when the egg is partially scrambled egg is partially done, then she adds the rice. So, um, out of curiosity, he said, okay, what does Jake Angie Lopez Alt has to say, have to say about this? And he has three main methods that you normally see used in recipes for doing fried rice. And Rins is none of the three. Um, main weapons are either add the start the rice, add the scrambled egg directly over and mix it in. It helps keep the rice moist, but you don't necessarily get the little bits of egg. Um, in other words, you start the rice, brown it a bit, move it off to the side, add the egg, let it scramble for a little bit, and then mix the rice in, and then mix mm -hmm. the rice in. And then the third one is cook the egg, remove the egg entirely, then add the rice, then put the egg back in as you start mm -hmm. doing your add-ins. So it's kind of a combination of two and three, like halfway in between two and three. And I thought that was an interesting, like, different version of it uh bring into that i also found that interesting yeah yeah it's like i've basically always done the adding the egg to the rice as it's cooking method when i'm making fried rice at least <laughs> um it would be interesting to try i like that she points out that most home ranges don't have the heat required for proper like Walking. toss the wok stir frying, which is true, but it is fun to do anyway, which she also points out, which is also true. <laughs> um, and there's also, you have to consider kind of a, a, the difference in your stove versus what they're using in the show, because there's probably a bit of difference there. There are different kinds of ranges, and um, most American ones are not optimized for woks, sadly. No, uh, worth noting also, or worth talking about, is Sh uh, Shiro's kitchen, which is very, very small, especially for the size of his house. Dude's living in a mansion and he's got a tiny one person kitchen, <laughs> which they do fit two or three people into nonetheless. But yes. um, but it, the space is just so well laid out, like they have a drawer for grilling. They have a grill drawer and I want one. <laughs> It's like a dedicated broiler drawer, um, but they don't have a dedicated um, a hardware oven. So yeah, when we get um, do, take out an electric oven. Yeah, when they do gratin in episode five, they basically get out a toaster oven for that. Um, There's uh, a concept in interior design where you talk about the triangle of workspace that happens in a kitchen, um, which is basically you have a triangle. Um, where you want to be able to reach your sink, your fridge, and your counter all in the same kind of area without having to move your feet too much. So in that sense, his kitchen's pretty perfect. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, he's also very organized about his mise en place and how he lays out his ingredients, which which helps when you have space issues in your kitchen. Yeah. I, I really appreciate how everything was, you know, perfectly laid out, how, you know, he had things ready. And in their spots before they were used. 
And a lot of people kind of struggle with that. Um, but if you have a small kitchen, it's really worth, you know, getting some mise en place dishes or a big platter where you can put your piles of ingredients that you've chopped so you have everything ready to go. Turntables are your best friend. Sorry, I promise this will not turn into a Kitchen Hacks podcast, even though I have so many. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. This is like, this is the episode to do that on. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, um, it serves two purposes, right? So it shows that he is an organized cook and it shows that he knows how to maximize the small space of his kitchen. But it also gives us, the viewer, a very neat and organized look at the ingredients and how they're supposed to look at each stage of the process, mm-hmm. which is great. <laughs> One uh, of the recipes caught your guys's interest or attention, uh, or just episodes in general. We're seriously considering buying a hot pot. Yeah, set <laughs> like an electric hot pot. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's hot pots, great community food, and I mean, we haven't had many people over. Thank you, pandemic. <laughs> um, but it's just one of the things. of there's so many things in there, like oh, that'd be great for having people over and. Mm. It looks good. Yeah, hot pot, um, the the soba noodle recipe. Mm. I, I I love good soba. <laughs> that did look good. Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, I do want to kind of try that bamboo shoots gratin. <laughs> honestly, I'd eat all those recipes. That yeah. that that's fair. Um, like the tricky bits for me is. Uh, I have family members who are allergic to salmon and shellfish. So mm-hmm. that rules out the um, uh, oil baked buttered salmon and mushrooms and the soba and possibly also the uh, chirashi sushi from episode three. Mm-hmm. Um, that oil baking method for fish will work on most fish. Okay. Um. Yeah, a, a, a fatty fish like salmon would. So another fatty fish to sub in would be good. But I've done halibut that way; it's delicious. If that's too expensive, you could just get cod or another very firm fleshed white fish. Sorry, can you tell I watch a lot of cooking shows? <laughs> and yeah, w- worth noting is that the salmon cooking recipe is basically one that's been done in your family for 30, 40 years. Yeah, I, so. I make baked salmon like that all the time, but with kind of an Italian flavor. So with diced tomatoes and Italian seasoning, um, shallots and lemon. Okay, so. <laughs> that, that's another thing is a lot of the recipes in the show are not exactly universal, but very similar to other things. So most people who are going to watch the show have at least one of the recipes. They're like, oh, yeah, I, I've done something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are some some like basic things that they do in the show that you could then expand into a bunch of other recipes. Like if you learn how to make a good soup broth, either a dashi broth or a kombu based broth, you can then extrapolate that out to make any kind of like, you know, noodle dishes. You can make your at home ramen, which is delicious. Mm. Um bunch of different things <laughs> and uh, uh for a similar way to example with um when we get the uh karage on episode 10 like if you like, if you're able to, to, to pull that off and feel confident doing that kind of um fried chicken you could then extrapolate this honestly to other fried chicken dishes um mm-hmm. uh, of that variety and uh, both not just japanese but also 
you can take that concept and go, okay, now I'm going to do General Zhao chicken or my or like some of the Chinese American fried chicken dishes, mm-hmm. and, and long from that as well. Absolutely. Um, and there are so many products now in the grocery store. You don't even have to go to an Asian market anymore to get all of these wonderful um, sauces and even seaweed and dashi flakes. Uh, just go to the international aisle and see what they got. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember one time we were there and I saw miso and I'm like, wow, that is awesome. I'm, like, <laughs> I made miso soup that night. <laughs> Like probably the bit I would the bits I would say where you would need to go to an Asian market for would be some but not all of the vegetables like some yeah, of the mushrooms, yeah. um, maybe bamboo the, shoots, yeah, yeah, bamboo shoots, um, but like some of the vegetables they have they would have at um, most grocery stores. Like I've seen uh, the daikon radish at like Fred Meyer's, which is our oh, yeah. our. Yep. For, for those who are outside the Pacific Northwest, Fred Myers is our local Kroger affiliate. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, if you live in a in a city that is a large city that has a quote unquote Chinatown, um, like Portland does or San Francisco, Japan. go buy vegetables there. It is a crazy cheap, and b the the variety is is beautiful. Um, great. I've had a great time shopping in Chinatown when I was living in San Francisco. I realize this is not an option for everybody. Um, but if you have one in your town, then I would recommend checking it out. Or even if you have like when an, the market days are. <laughs> or even if you have like an H Mart or something like that, they may still have a pretty good selection of Asian vegetables and stuff there as well. And oftentimes, I mean, I've had to ask, okay, what's the best way to cook this? And just they like, will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I'm I'm getting this, I'm trying a recipe off of uh from the internet. Uh What's the best way to cook this? Because <laughs> the recipe was not specific. I enjoyed the scenes of Shiro shopping um, in the show. I really, I don't know why I like to watch other people go grocery shopping. I think it's just that everyone has to do it. It's- and there's a part of your brain that is like, but could I be doing it better? Um- <laughs> and related to that, I, I appreciate it's a one-off joke. From the opening credits, but I still appreciate it nonetheless. Um, from a um universal life experience standpoint, the bit of the opening credits of Rin going shopping, seeing the sale on eggs, and, and someone grabs to... the last one. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> becomes even better when her red when her dish calls for eggs that we get in the show. Um, uh, seeing Lancer's all his different part-time jobs was really fun for me, but I especially liked, um, when he was working at the fishmongers, uh, if you were lucky enough to have a dedicated butcher or fishmonger near you and you love food, it's worth cultivating a relationship with them. They will absolutely tell you how to cook, you know, anything that they sell, um, and they'll know a lot about it, which is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you could say, you know, I, I need a meal for like three people and I'd like to have leftovers the next day. What 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 reheats really well? And they should be able to tell you that. <laughs> it's also really good if after you've made for to use the example of episode 10, if after you've made fried chicken for the entire high school student council, a karage for the entire high school student <laughs> council, and you realize you need to quickly go make some for, for your um uh housemate, um uh, then 
for when you dash over and they're about to close say hey real quick <laughs> right they're like oh i know you all right <laughs> oh man that would have been a lot of work for the student council um you have to keep your oil up to temperature when you fry so he was doing those it like batches so that yeah, probably fast. took him quite a while like <laughs> constantly going constantly switching out the batches yeah <laughs> I was uh, like, I hope they appreciate it. And then, of course, they do. They have the sparkle. <laughs> it's pretty great. I also, I really, I really vibed with that student council member who was like, I have to eat this bean bread for dinner again. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had moments where we had to, like, we were doing a big project or something and we just didn't have time to cook. And it was like, uh The same thing again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love bean bread. <laughs> you, maybe so you would eat that three days a day. I don't know. I would, but I think by day three, it would definitely be losing its, like, anything will lose its appeal if it's, you know, the only thing you've got. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. <laughs> I do also appreciate, like, um, from, like, the fate supporting cast standpoint the number of deep cuts to the thing where we get to spend a bunch more time with characters who we don't get to spend a lot of time with on the main stories um like the great example is uh the, the like one of the head monks from the temple that Issei lives Issei that lives at and um that caster and um lives at as well uh Raycat, where like we get like several episodes with him um yeah. And like I, we we barely see him in the main series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's like Issei's older, not exactly brother, but he's a monk who lives at the temple too. So sort of has this sibling relationship, and that's kind of all you know. But it turns out he's a bit of a foodie. <laughs> turns out most people there are. <laughs> the temple has a very nice kitchen. Yes, although it's implied that a lot of that is because uh, Caster's living there now. That she bought equipment for it, but the space was yeah, presumably yes. there before. Yeah, <laughs> big, yeah. Th there's a big kitchen there, and like because it's supposed to be able to feed all of the monks and the guests who come to visit the temple. Uh, I do recommend also like reading the manga as well because while a lot of the recipes that appear in the show are in the currently chapters of the manga that or volumes of the manga that have been translated so far the manga actually has a few recipes that don't show up in the show um like there's an episode which is basically Rin and sort of her those two gals um or three gals hanging out and having tea and it has like a recipe for scones Nice. Um, and like this show basically <laughs> barely touches on baked goods at all. Um, so like that's that that's an additional bit. Because Shiro fun. doesn't have an oven. Yeah, that is true. Shiro does not have an oven. That makes <laughs> sense, actually. Um, so it's a nice additional bit there. Um, mm. I could actually a bit like I realized like with episode 11 or no, 10, the Christmas episode. Um, no, 12. Sorry, 12. Yeah, uh, with, with the one pan roast beef, was like it's Shiro basically how, like, how do you make roast beef without an oven? Um, or that there, which is an 
interesting bit, which is interesting and fun to watch, was definitely a uh, like, yeah, that's right. Shiro doesn't have an oven, and his broiler is basically designed for flat, flat things. fish. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fish. Maybe you can stick a steak in there, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just talking about it, I'm getting hungry. Again. I know. Yeah. After <laughs> this, it's gonna we're gonna have a. Don't know what we're going to make, but we're going to make something. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we might get wrap this up. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, you did watch the show. Uh, again, it, the show is currently streaming on Crunchyroll. Um, the manga is slowly coming out in English. Um, the first three volumes have both physical and digital releases. Um Four and five are on the way. They are licensed by Denpa and are available through um, Right Stuff and Amazon and that sort of thing. I'll toss up a couple of affiliate links in the show notes. I, I do recommend picking up the manga. Um, as far as next month goes, while Emmy Family has some very light romantic moments, which is appropriate for Valentine's Day being this month with... Um, Shiro and Saber. Actually, I didn't talk about this much. I I thought about this, but I didn't mention it. Um, so between the time I first watched this and this one, I had read um, Mesa and Koku. And oh my a, god, that was one of my favorites. <laughs> oh my god! So there's a we joke in an episode in, somewhere of that entire show. So well, so there's a joke in one of the volumes of the manga of Mesa and Koku, um, where our main character is towards this toward the end is trying to propose. And there is, even at the time, like the 80s, there's an old and somewhat hackneyed way to propose to someone of saying, uh, ask, telling them, I would like to eat your uh, miso soup forever, basically. Oh. <laughs> um, and there are some lines in this between um, re- between uh, Shiro and Saber, which are basically that. Um, yeah, there's a really sweet moment there. <laughs> and it's it's like we, we don't quite get a like formal romantic proposals to the members of the informal polycule that is Saber, Rin, and Sakura. <laughs> um but it's um strongly implied, which I which isn't fitting for uh Valentine's Day, I guess. It's very cute. Yeah. If if you watched any of the other fate shows and you came away feeling like that was good, but it was also kind of sad. This is the alternate dimension where everyone's just buddies and they eat together, and it's awesome. Like, Fate is great, but there is so much tragedy in there. Like, in the original Fate Stay Night, there is exactly one ending that Saber actually gets to stay. Uh, spoilers, sorry. Uh, stay in our time, because she is a Heroic spirit who has been summoned from the past. There's exactly one where she actually gets to stay. And even then, she's staying with Rin. So so this cooking show in some ways feels like, like the best fan fiction I ever conceived, where everyone is just happy and hanging out, making good food, and eating good food, and Lancer just flits in and out <laughs> like a cat. Like... Like it, he has gotten so much more in this than he ever got in Fate Stay Night. Like in any of the versions of Fate Stay Night, um, yeah. Like so, like 
coffee, like the, the coffee shop AU is a thing. Uh, and in fact, it's even sort of gotten, of course. um, there's like legends and lattes, which is basically a, a, a fantasy novel inspired by the concept of the coffee shop AUs. Amazing I now kind of want, dubs. I can't now kind of want the potluck meal AU now. Yes. Um, that would be great. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly, you know, potluck, you know, you bring a traditional meal, what each of, you know, the servants would bring. Oh, also, no. seeing Berserker cook would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> seeing as he is a eight or nine foot tall Goliath. He just he just walks in with like a full stag over his shoulders and that, sets it up on a spit. That, that, that would actually absolutely be his move. <laughs> <laughs> and Alexander is like awesome. It's Kandar. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. So they have specific versions of there. Yep. So next month, because J- Japan is like. I mean, Valentine's Day is great. What if we had a sequel to Valentine's Day? Well, originally, it's not just a sequel. It's a reversal because Valentine's Day traditionally, this is cha- this has been changing in the recent years, but traditionally, Valentine's Day in Japan, it's the, um, it's the girls and the women who give men chocolate. And one month later, on March 14th, they have White Day, where the men give chocolate to the women. Hooray for gender parity. I, I was explaining this to our son just a couple days ago when uh, when he was when um, uh, he was asking for some of the chocolate that, you know, Tora got me. And I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> but, you know, in one month, I'm going to be giving her chocolate. And I was just doing a whole explanation on it. Yeah. So as, as our sequel, um, so our my original plan was Gamers, uh, which is a romantic comedy farce. But because, sadly, the license has expired for that, and we're trying to do stuff that's available for streaming, uh, although we may do some exceptions a bit later, um, this is, uh, instead, we're going, we're going to call an Audible, and we are doing My Dress Up Darling, um, which aired last year, and is also available for streaming on Crunchyroll, and has several nominations in the Crunchyroll Anime Awards. I mean, that's just, just, just called the Anime Awards because there's some high dive stuff and Netflix stuff on there too. And Should be fun. Yep. Uh, there also is a manga for that as well. But yeah, I will have links in the show notes for where you can watch it. And till next time, uh, if you enjoy the show, please um, like, subscribe, uh, write and review on whatever your uh, pod aggregator platform of choice is. It does help improve our visibility. Mm-hmm. And until later, um, next time, um, keep watching anime and good eating. Bye, guys. Bye.